Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud whose family started the profession 100 years ago. We step back into the ring, back into time. He is the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what's going on in the Great Smoky Mountains, bud? Oh, man, beautiful day. Uh, got a little cold spell, first one this time of year, man, early September. Kind of, I kind of remember what it was like 20 years ago before I left, man. You get that first little cold front that comes through, and <laughs> air gets real crisp. And before you know it, man, the leaves are going to start to turn. <laughs> That's what everybody loves about that area. And then it kind of spreads up into the Northeast and just an incredible sight. So it's got to feel good to be there in the Great Smoky Mountains. I see some videos on your Facebook from time to time, and you're, you're out seeing some of these beautiful spots with a beautiful stream behind you as, as you talk to folks on Facebook. So you, you do have some time to get out there and enjoy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I try to get the, I try to take maybe one day a week and uh, try to get out and see different places. Uh, doing a little, uh, doing a little uh, trips up into the uh, Great Smoky Mountains up there in that Brutus country, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it's kind of nice. I actually have uh, gone to some places that I haven't seen that that uh, Brutus visits in the book, and I get to see them for the first time myself. So, oh, cool. You know, you were also talking about, we talked about this just yesterday, and this is going to be coming soon on one of the Tell Me More programs. We talked about Brutus, and we talked about a friend of yours that you named one of the characters after. So that's really cool, and maybe we'll uh, hear, hear more about that soon. But find out more about Brutus at tnstud.com. And listen, the, the, the whole YouTube thing is really going super well for you. I know you've got to be excited about how far you've come in such a short time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, geez. And I got to thank everybody out there, man. Uh, people have just really, really uh, jumped on board. They're supporting me. They're going there. They're subscribing. They're ringing that bell. And uh, and I'm trying to put different things on there for them, man. Uh, I'm, I've, I've really got some great things and great ideas. That's awesome. And listen, I hear there's something else special that's going to be going to your YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel this coming Thursday. Tell us about that because this thing is going to be really big. Wow. I mean, this one, this one I'm really, really happy about. I'm really proud of. Uh, yes, uh, on this Thursday, a uh, couple of days after this one, this studcast is released. Uh, really something very special is going to be up on the, on the YouTube site. Uh, and it's going to be called the Southeastern Sweet Spot. We're going to do these about once a month. And this is the first one. And, uh, and uh, this one is a, is a great video, man, of a legendary feud, man. After the breakup between the Freebirds, uh, which happened in Texas, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy end up in Southeastern Wrestling in 1982. Hmm. And uh, Michael Hayes is a babyface and Terry Gordy is a heel. So not only do they break up as a threesome, but uh, they come back and wrestle in Southeastern against each other. Wow. And in this Southeastern sweet spot, Dave, they're in a cage match in 1982 in Dothan, Alabama. <laughs> and uh, this cage match gets totally out of control. I mean, wow. Uh, 
Joe LaDuke and the sheep herders end up involved. And uh, it is really, really a special piece of video. Uh, fans don't want to miss this one. I can tell you that. Uh, and it's going to be up on Thursday, September 9th. And these sweet, stock, sweet spots, as I said, the southeastern sweet spots are going to be a monthly feature. And this one is a great one to start out with. I'm going to actually uh, do a couple of minutes uh, just to introduce what's about to happen in the video. So when they see it, the fans, uh, if you start to click on it, uh, you, may, you may hear me first for a minute or so. And then it goes right into this tremendous cage match between <laughs> these two guys. Oh, uh, you, you said it was special. And listen, I can't recall a time that Freebirds, Michael Hayes, and Terry Gordy ever wrestled against each other because they were always the Freebirds, let alone in a cage match against each other. And again, that's coming out this Thursday on Southeastern Rewind. That is unbelievable. I never knew that they, they even fought at all so that's pretty that's pretty cool that you've got this documented everything you seem to touch stud it turns into it turns into a buffet okay i should have said gold but listen that's a great segue into the two-hour dinner with the stud in knoxville at the beautiful calhoun's on the river restaurant this thing is going to be really cool it happens on wednesday night october 13th the response indicates it's going to be really big you, Les Thatcher, and Jimmy Golden all there together, and you guys are going to be really hanging out with the fans and having a great time experiencing an unforgettable evening, a free dinner buffet at one of America's most famous restaurants, two free autograph 8x10 photos, free door prizes, a souvenir table to purchase mementos, for the evening and a cash bar that goes with that as well and then the entertainment really begins a first ever one hour live stud cast plus a one hour audience question and answer session on top of everything else it's all going to be recorded so those that are asking questions hey they could end up on youtube and could be seen worldwide you need to reserve your dinner now you can do that at tnstud.com click stud store and get ready for an unforgettable evening all of this only 30 bucks the two free autograph photos are worth 30 bucks alone stud so how can you afford how can you afford to do this how can anybody afford not to do this well, you know, Dave, I, I do it, man, because I love my fans. Wow, I've always wanted to do something special for them since I started four years ago. Uh, find a way to give back to those that have been so supportive of me and everything I do. And and this dinner, this dinner with the studs, going to become a monthly event. And this is only the beginning. Next year, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th of 2022, I'm going to have the first ever three-day celebration of Knoxville's great wrestling history. It's going to include George and John's Kazana's Wide World of Sports that was there before I took over with Southeastern. It's going to include my Southeastern, my Continental, and my USA wrestling that was uh, uh, basically centered in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. And it's also going to include Jim Cornette, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, that was headquartered in Knoxville. Wow. So, yeah. And uh, all of this is going to take place at the uh, big and historic Jacobs Building at Chill Valley Park, right next to the amphitheater that we talk about today. Yeah. And this podcast yeah. will be talking about it. And uh, this building this building has so much wrestling history in it. Uh, this is going to be a, a really tremendous event. That's uh, we, we have talked about this briefly a few studcasts back, but a three-day wrestling reunion of fans from all over the country to celebrate the illustrious history of one of the great wrestling cities in the world. Now I see why you said this dinner with the stud is really only the beginning, as you said. This wonderful three-day event is for every fan from all over the world. And once again, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2022 it's going to be epic man uh I, well i certainly hope so dave uh, you know i'm in uh, i'm going to put a lot of work into it uh, i'll be contacting wrestlers from all over the world uh this this will be something very spectacular uh you know and it's not just for the fans 
but it, it's for the wrestlers from all over the world as well. You know, they're coming and they're going to be there by the hundreds. I think I can get more than a hundred wrestlers there easily. And uh, they'll be there to welcome those fans, man, for those three days. And I'm really hopeful it'll become an annual event. And it's going to give fans worldwide an opportunity to meet and greet their favorite star, to see these special breakout events that every one of these big reunion-type events across the country always have. And uh, and it's got one really big breakout event uh, that's going to be involving me. That's kind of a secret that I'm going to hold for a little while. But uh, then it's going to finish on the last day, Dave, with a wrestling tournament of present-day wrestlers from all over the country, and they're going to be vying for the Roy Welch Memorial Trophy in honor of my grandfather. Holy cow, that is too much, stud. So where do you come up with an idea like this this dinner and now this three-day weekend event for fans from all over? No wonder you were such a great booker back in the day. You were, you're still booking, right? <laughs> well, uh, maybe not exactly booking, but I, I'm still thinking about any way I can give back to my supporters, man. Uh, you know, I, I'm all in for that. And, and speaking of all in, I can't wait to get back into this studcast. You know, after that last week's studcast that we had, it was so great. William Harding being on with us live, yep. talking about how he broke Bob Roop's sugar hole, how he won a thousand dollars, and then how he had to earn it <laughs> because, because they didn't really want to give it to him. I thought so he was going to. So, uh, <laughs> gosh, what a great one that was last week! And geez, uh, uh, I think yeah. this one is going to be a great one too, Dave. Oh, for sure. I thought he was going to have to fight for it again. All right, stud. That sounds like you and Lightning are raring to go. So, where do we ride today? Well. You were talking about booking day, so let's begin with our today's training. Uh, let's take a close look at the booking dilemma that I'm in at this point in Southeastern Wrestling as the booker. I'm encountering in the last week in the amphitheater of 1977. I've got to move from the amphitheater into a baseball stadium for three weeks, and uh, it's not a really pretty baseball stadium. And then, then three weeks after that, Harley Race is going to show up to defend the world championship. So uh, we're going to focus on that last card of the summer in the amphitheater on Friday night, August the 26th, 1977. We're going to discuss the TV that promoted it, the results of the card, and we'll talk about the attendance. And we're going to finish today with another great learning tree question. Uh, and uh, that question was, what was your favorite and most profitable spot show in southeastern Knoxville? Hmm. So, uh, you know, great one. I got some good questions on the end. Uh, uh, and, and we start out with a real problem for, the, for a booker that I'm encountering going <laughs> into the fall of 1977. Well, obviously, it sounds like we're headed for another great ride today, Stud. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that booking dilemma you are encountering at the end of the summer of 77. So why don't we race right into that? Okay. So I'm all for that, man. Uh, you know, I like your get-up-and-go attitude. You and Mr. Pickles seem to have now, man. Thank you. So let's do some booking, man. <laughs> all right, let's go. So, so let's, <laughs> let's start right into that booking. Uh, for bookers, you know, it's always a depressing time of the year when school started back. And the red-hot summers, man, start to fade into the fall. Uh, southeastern summers in Knoxville always ended up even more difficult than other places around the country, because just as August ended and September arrived, kids are going back to school, uh, you had the fair come to town. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so you, you had to leave the big amphitheater for three straight weeks. You couldn't go into uh, the Jacobs building either, and you had to move the whole operation to a baseball stadium uh, in a bad part of downtown Knoxville. <laughs> You know, and as if that wasn't bad enough, you also had to compete on two of the Friday nights out of the three against the fair, which is, for most cities, one of the biggest events that they have all year. Hmm. It was literally a booker's nightmare, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Southeastern, you know, was only seven weeks away at this point, uh, at the end of August in 1977, from the return of the NWA champion, Harley Race. And in the next seven weeks, uh, we added, me and then Rob and I, we really had to sit down and really figure out how we're going to keep business up during all of these things that are going on. 
but we added 10 big stars in these seven cards between this card and the night that Harley Race shows up. And uh, we were bringing back for a long run uh, Ricky Gibson, who was a big star there in 75. Now he's come back in 77. Uh, we're bringing back the assassin, Jody Hamilton who was a big star, 75. He's returning in 77. And we're bringing back the dastardly Don Carson. Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> we're going to keep him there for a while. Uh, and, you know, for, and then we've got a lot of great stars making these one-night appearances during these seven shows. We have the NWA world champion, Harley Race, one of them. Yep. Terry Funk is coming back. Jerry Lawler is going to be there. Nelson Royal. Uh, the Irish superstar and the world junior heavyweight champion, Pat Barrett, uh, Dutch Mantel, Butch Malone is returning. I mean, uh, we, we're cranking it up. <laughs> oh, no doubt. That's like a who's who in wrestling back in those days, uh, for sure, coming over a, a seven-week period of time. Well, you know, uh, thank goodness, man. We, we've done a pretty good job of establishing uh, some great talent. Uh, and thank goodness that they wanted to come back to Southeast, and all of them wanted to come back. So we developed uh, some very strong angles. Uh, we had good combinations uh, to put those, to give those angles to. And, uh, and in long programs that fans never seem to get tired of, man, we had uh, these great stars that would just fit together so perfectly. And fans could come and watch them week after week. You just had to put them in a different type of match. And uh, it just seemed like everything was cranked. It was all doing great. Our style of booking had worked very well with our talent. And uh, that was always an extremely important part of having success in the wrestling business. Uh, and to go along with all that, we had some pretty darn great finishes used. And uh, that usually uh, made it, that was kind of the main reason that all of it worked, man. If your finishes were good, your angles were good, your programs were long and exciting, wow, you're going to continue to do great business. So we had to make sure the crew obviously understood the difficulty of the time of year we were in to ensure that they continued to work hard, obviously, you know, and, and maybe even harder than they had worked in the summer because it was necessary in the tough times hmm. that they do that. And uh, so bookers had to be like great coaches. They, you know, I mean, uh, you know, they, they got fired up, uh, especially when the going was tough and right there, you know, we had to give these guys a pat on the back for the, some extra effort, man. And uh, so basically, bookers were the backbone of every territory. You know, I, I, maybe we've thought about it that way, but not literally that way. But that's exactly, I mean, as you said, they're coaches. You, you've got to keep them pumped up and ready to go and ready to hit the ring and fired up about their their story, whatever their story is. And, and cool, that's so cool But because I think these kind of trainings are the real reason so many people say your studcast are really the best education anywhere in old school wrestling. So that's, that's awesome. So, all right, where do we ride to next? Well, we're going to ride into Chil Chil High Park's amphitheater, man, for the last card in the summer of 1977. So on August the 26th, to be exact, uh, and Roy Lee Welch is going to have his second match versus Al Costello since his arrival in Southeastern. Uh, Ricky Gibson, who is the older brother of Robert Gibson, rock and roll fame Robert Gibson, uh, was returning after a long absence. And uh, he'd been a fan favorite uh, for most of 1975. And he was up against, he's going to be up against Don DeFonz Fargo. So, so old Don Fargo is still hanging around, and he's got himself a new gimmick. Uh, and things were really getting hot between Tony Charles and the pro, Doug Gilbert, at this point. In fact, it was the fifth meeting in the six weeks in a row and Charles had won all of those matches and the pro was so upset by what was going on and that he could not beat Tony Charles that he promised in this particular match they have coming that if he if he got beat he's going to pull his mask off so tag belts have been up <laughs> in the last stud cast uh, the winner of this week's would be this week's match, they're going to be coming back against each other. Mm -hmm. And the winner is going to be the new Southeastern Tag Champions. And they're going to get the belts awarded to them after the event. And uh, Joe LaDuke and Bob Armstrong 
are going to be getting their second chance to win the titles over Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Orton Jr., managed by Al Costello. Uh, they had a crazy match the week before, two referees involved, and uh, they held up the titles because they didn't know who to give the match to, to be honest with you. So, And then after last week, crowd took total control of the stomper, man, producing the loudest roars of the summer, man. Uh, and uh, being in that match, I was just amazed at how loud that crowd was. And gorgeous George Jr. Uh, having to intentionally get his stomper disqualified to keep the belt because <laughs> the stomper couldn't take it. <laughs> his ears wouldn't take it. He kept wanting to go to the dressing room. And uh, finally, uh, gorgeous George had to basically jump in the ring and get him disqualified on purpose. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I went all out, you know, I, I wanted to get that belt. I really wanted to get that belt, man. So, so I, I wanted to have in this next main event, it's going to be me against the stomper again, but I went all out for this one. I asked to have a handicap match. I wanted, I'd wrestle both of them, stomper and gorgeous George. Wow. Jr. Okay. I put up $5,000, my own money. I put up the TV trophy, all just to win, to win the championship belt from Stomper. Okay, so I'm not going to ask if you wanted it really bad. I mean, you were literally risking everything to win the belt, two against one, $5,000, putting up the TV trophy, which was as tall as you were, all to win the Southeastern Championship. So why, why do you do that? Why, why, so, uh, why, why everything? Uh, well, uh, remember last week's TV, oh, uh, well, Dave, it, uh, the way it, it opened with it, Harley Race. It just hit right? me. There it is. Boom. Uh, you know, <laughs> he was coming back in seven weeks. He's going to defend the NWA championship yeah. belt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody knew the Southeastern champion was going to be the first in line for the match with Harley Race. <laughs> Harley Race. Yeah. And uh, that was the way it was in all territories. Uh, you know, the Mongolian Stomper was the Southeastern champion. And the territory champion got the shot. So, uh, <laughs> wow, uh, it, it's a no-brainer, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. And remember, only two months, two months earlier than this, Bob Armstrong got my title shot at Harley Race in June. Yeah. I was scheduled to get it. I had the championship. I was the Southeastern champion, and uh, he got the race because Mr. Knoxville hurt me mm -hmm. about uh, two weeks before the title match. Yeah. And Bob Armstrong was slid in there, got to take my chance, my uh, my shot at it, and uh, and I was the champion before I got hurt, and uh, and I would have gotten the title shot. So so I was willing to risk it all, man. Uh, uh, you know, two against one, my money, my TV trophy. If I won, I'd be in the driver's seat. I'd be looking to have a crash with Harley Race <laughs> on October seventh in the Coliseum. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, plus Dave. There was now something else at work, man. The crowd's roar and the stompers' painful ears told me this was a good gamble. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. And I think you were definitely on to something right there because something new was kind of happening with the stomper and, and gorgeous George Jr., but primarily the stomper. So let's, let's round that up. Let's round up that TV show of August 20th of 77 rod how did how did it open up on this one well the, the same way actually it ended the week before it ended up with the video being replayed uh, back where i was defending my tv trophy against the monst mongolian stomper from the saturday before and uh you know so uh that uh, so les ran down the entire cart as usual the entire tv cart and then he showed uh, both belts Southeastern belts were sitting on the desk in front of him, and he said that uh, everyone would find out why the belts were there later in the show. And then when the cameras backed away, there was this giant still shot behind Les from the last match on the TV the week before uh, when I was defending my TV trophy against the Stomper. Gorgeous George Jr. was in this shot. He's on the apron of the ring. He has his hands wrapped around the ears of the Stomper, who's standing inside the ring and uh, laying down on the mat below him is me. I'm blow bloody laying on my back. And, uh, you know, as the old saying goes, one picture was worth a thousand words. <laughs> I mean, it, it pretty well told the story, man. Uh, <laughs> those, 
those uh, hands clamped around the stomper's ears, man, was uh, where things had gotten to. And uh, so Les asked the director to run the video from the TV show the week before. And as soon as it began to roll, the most noticeable thing about the video was the sound of the crowd in the studio. And uh, Les pointed out that fact immediately, you know. Uh, and the stomper in the video started heading for the dressing room. Uh, Gigi started chasing behind him, and the referee counted out the stomper and ended up raising my hand. But, uh, you know, I didn't like that type of a win. Uh, but the crowd, the crowd was really making things happen. Uh, so, again, uh, you know, then Les asked him to stop the video, and, they, and then he said, uh, showed the next video that they had ready to roll. It was from the amphitheater the night before, and it was between me and the stomper again. Gorgeous George was managing, and it began with another roar from the crowd. But this time, they, the roar was a thousand times louder than that TV crowd. It was like, <laughs> wow, man. It sounded like uh, 30,000 people. Wow. It like sounded like you were in a football stadium. And, uh, and again, in this match that they were showing, the second one, I was bleeding again. But this time, I was standing triumphantly with my hand in the air because Gigi had just jumped in the ring to get his stomper disqualified on purpose to save the belt. You know, he saw that his stomper was going to run from the ring and he didn't want to take a chance that I'd be presented with the belt because the stomper got counted out. So the stomper, while the, this is going on and Gigi's in there, uh, making the sure that the referee sees that he's where he shouldn't be and he has to disqualify the stomper. That saved the belt. And uh, while that's going on, the stomper's running around the ring in circles with his hands over his ears. The crowd's tormenting him, man, with the roar. The roar was so loud. It sounded like 10 trains, man, passing in the night. It's like, wow. wow. Okay. It was just deafening. I mean, it was absolutely deafening in that the amphitheater. It was so loud that even the video, the, the sound was so loud that Les and I couldn't be heard talking about what we were watching. Wow. So, so you know, again, as in the TV trophy match from the week before, both men headed for the dressing room, and uh, the tremendous roar of the crowd is what chased them there. So something very strange that I'd never seen before in any territory I'd ever been in was happening in Southeastern. Uh, and it had caught fire overnight. Um, and everywhere we went, it wasn't just in Knoxville. In every city we went, every night, the crowd started figuring out what was happening. They went absolutely nuts, <laughs> crazy, when the stomper entered the building. As soon as they saw him, they started on him. And uh, it became so easy to work with him. The crowd loved every minute of it. They enjoyed it. They relished it. And uh, so every time he got on top of his opponent, took over, the crowd began to be his biggest foe. <laughs> they started that cheering and screaming. And the more he sold his ears, the louder the crowd got. <laughs> Crazy. Never <laughs> seen it before. You know, it was, it was just, God, the guys were all amazed. The wrestlers were like, wow, I've never seen this before. So Les and I talked about it. Well, I'm on the set, but... But we had to cut the video to be able to hear above the roar of the crowd, man. The subject popped up immediately when he asked, why in the world would I risk so much in one match against the Stomper? Scheduled for the following Friday night in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. My trophy, $5,000, agreeing to wrestle both of them at the same time. Right. An handicap match just to, got, to get myself a shot at the Southeastern title. Same question you asked, Dave. Yeah, right. Fact, you know, and, you know, and then obviously it was a good question. Uh, and I knew everybody out there watching was all asking themselves the same question. What, what in the heck is he doing here? So, you know, I answered it the same way I did to you a few minutes ago, except this time I added one thing to it. Uh, it was simple. I wanted to get that belt so that I could get that shot at Harley Race seven weeks down the road, if I could win it, if I could keep it, and if I could stay healthy, I would be in that ring on October 7th, 1977 mm -hmm. with Harley Race. Mm -hmm. And this time, oddly enough, 
almost exactly a year earlier, to, on October 10th of 1976, I had beaten the world champion, Terry Funk, had my hand raised, was given the belt, and they took it away from me. Huh. And I was, I was destined. I wanted to become the next world champion. I felt like I had earned it twice. They did the same thing to me with Jack Briscoe. I beat Jack Briscoe. They raised my hand. They gave me the belt, and they took the belt away. So, so I also added that I wasn't scheduled to do this, but I wanted to defend my TV trophy again on TV today because I really didn't get the kind of win the week before that I was proud of. I asked Les if he could make that happen and they, that I'd love to be on the last TV match of the day. So I left the set to a big pop. Uh, that was followed by another pop man right away. His, his fan favorite, Tony Charles, entered the studio for the first TV match of the day. And uh, the crowd set Tony on fire, man. Uh, he was he would set them on fire, but they would set him on fire, too. And uh, he made his way all the way around the, all three sections of those seats in that studio. And he high-fived and hand-shook as many people as he could. The end of his match was a, with another brand-new throw that he had never done before. Uh, and it looked amazing on instant replay. I mean, he was just a phenomenal wrestler. So the pro, who was his opponent for the next Friday night, who was going to lose his mask if he lost the match, he joined Les at the set to commentate over Tony Charles' match. And, uh, boy, it was easy to see, man. His disdain for the English, man, was very obvious, man. He had nothing but nasty things to say in his comments. Uh, even though Les was absolutely blown away by the throw that Tony Charles used to win the match. And it seemed like that made the pro even matter. <laughs> that Les was making such a big deal out of, wow, did you see that? So the pro left the set at the end of the match, and he, he, had, a, he had a finishing line. He said something about, I'm going to hurt that crooked nose limey bad before it's over between us. <laughs> and if you ever saw the picture of Tony Charles, you know why he called him a crooked nose limey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tony, had a, Tony had a bad broken nose, man. Uh, wow. Uh, he had one of the most crooked noses I've ever seen. And, uh, and the pro had to say something bad about it on the end. So, so Tony then waited in the ring till the pro left the set before he went there. He was all smiles, as usual, from ear to ear, man. And uh, Les is closing out the segment, about to throw it to commercial break, and uh, and he's got to shake Les's hand before he even throws it to commercial break. He's like, wow, he's such a great guy, Tony. And after the commercial break, the pro joined Les, and Tony was uh, on the split screen for from Studio B. And their match had one very special stipulation, as I mentioned earlier. If the pro lost, he had to unmask. And it was very obvious these two were never going to be friends, that was for sure. And I think the pro was a bit jealous of Tony Charles' wrestling ability, to be honest with you. Hmm. Pro was a really good wrestler, but wow, Tony Charles was one of those magnificent wrestlers. And then, then next match, a very popular Ricky Gibson man got a great round of applause. It was his first TV match back in Southeastern in a real long time. He got a quick win with his sleeper hold over a much larger Tony Peters. Big dude, hmm. over 300 pounds. And uh, toward the end of that match, just to show how agile he was, Ricky Gibson, he took a tackle from big old Tony Peters and uh, – and then he dropped down when Tony came for the next one. Then he leapfrogged over Tony Peters. Tony Peters is about 6'5". Hmm. You know, I mean, uh, the leapfrog, a guy that's 6'5", and his shoulders were real wide because he's a big guy. And then he stepped aside. Uh, Peters just kept charging off those ropes. And when Peters came by, he hooked that <laughs> the left arm around his throat, and he, 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 he saddled him like a horse, man. I sailed right up on his back. <laughs> Looked like getting on top of lightning, man, and running full speed. <laughs> and uh, and then he put that sleeper on him. Boy, the fans popped instantly. They knew it was over, man, because uh, Ricky Gibson was great with the sleeper hole. So Ricky and Don Fargo, they were going to meet each other the following Friday night. Uh, they did the second interview, and these two, uh, they they were going to have a great match any time, anywhere in the world. Uh, they were 
both really, really great wrestlers. You know, I saw those wrestle several times in Gulf Coast Wrestling back in the 70s. Uh, I was a much younger guy, but you're right. They did have great matches together. Hey, I think this is a good time. Let's take a break. We'll come back with the personality profile. And remember to find Southeastern Rewind on the YouTube channel. It's Southeastern Rewind. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. And make sure you tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. All right, as promised, the personality profile is coming when we come back on this studcast. Hey, everybody, it's David Summers on the break saying thanks for listening to Studcast number 215. And don't forget to check out Ron's website while you're listening, tnstud.com, for all things stud. And if you live in the Knoxville area, the stud has an unforgettable event for you. It's a two-hour recorded dinner with the stud October 13th of this year. It's going to be something really special. You'll begin your evening by hanging out with three wrestling legends, Ron Fuller, Les Thatcher, and Jimmy Golden. You'll enjoy a free buffet dinner at Calhoun's on the River, one of America's best restaurants, two free autograph 8x10 photos, free door prizes, and a cash bar. Then the real fun begins. You'll be a part of the first ever live studcast, followed by a question and answer show where you can ask questions and you might even be seen on YouTube worldwide. The event is only $30 and that includes everything. The two photographs alone are worth that. Seats are going fast. To get yours, go to tnstud.com. tnstud.com. Click stud store and get ready for a night to remember. Now, back to the Studcast, episode number 215. Hey, welcome back in. David Summers here with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Another Studcast, another incredible Studcast. And you are right here in the middle with us. And hey, by the way, Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell, get reminders, and we'll remind you when new stuff will be dropped on YouTube. And Ron, before we go any farther and the personality profile is coming up, tell us again what's happening this Thursday, and we're talking just a couple of days away on YouTube on the Southeastern Channel, a cage match that took place in Southeast Alabama. What's what's up with that? Yeah, man, uh, tremendous, tremendous match. I've watched this thing about three times myself. I, I mean, this is really, really historic wrestling at its finest. Uh, this match took place in late April of 1982 in uh, Dothan, Alabama, to be exact. And it's a cage mm-hmm. between the two former big-time partners, the Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. <laughs> Except this time, Michael Hayes is the babyface. Terry Gordy is the heel. They hate each other, <laughs> and they're in a cage match. And, uh, <laughs> wow. It's called, and it's called, it's going to be, if you're looking for it, it's going to be out on Thursday. Uh, September 9th, I think it is the date. And uh, if you're looking for it, uh, uh, you can um, you can basically look for uh, look for something that you you've never seen before. Uh, and Joe Duke uh, and the Sheepherders, man, get involved <laughs> on the end of this match. Wow! Uh, I don't want to give away all of it, but this is one of the great cage matches of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's even something happens afterward that's just as good, remarkable as the cage match itself. That's cool. And of course, it takes place in the legendary Houston County Farm Center in my hometown, Dothan, Alabama, which, as, as some folks do know, was a huge hotbed for wrestling. And a lot of people came. Well, a, a lot of these stars you're talking about, we saw wrestle back in Dothan in the day. As a matter of fact, as you said earlier, both Michael and Terry went on from there right back to Atlanta and really got into the thick of things as the Freebirds. Yeah, they kind of made up in this particular video. Uh, and they, and then they went right directly into Atlanta mm-hmm. as partners. In yeah. fact, they take this uh, this video, this piece of video, and show it on Atlanta's television. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it uh, it puts these guys back together as the Freebirds again. Interesting. And that match from Dothan, Alabama, as we said. Okay, Ron, that's exciting. And that's this Thursday on Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. So all you have to do is log into the channel and you'll see if you'll see the newest entry and that'll be the one. Okay, so Ron, back to the studcast and the personality profile. What was on the personality profile? 
Well, the, there was a, basically the reason for the tag belts to be sitting on the desk at the opening of the show. Uh, they were there, obviously, for the first time ever. Uh, there was no Southeastern tag champions. The belt had been held up for the first time in Southeastern history. So Bob Armstrong and Joe Duke, uh, they're sitting with Les, not at the location that they usually did the profile at, but at the set. And the belts were there in front of them. And Les asked the director, Bill Kincaid, to show the other team in Studio B with their manager, Al Costello, which he did, popped on, basically. So they're in Studio B, mm -hmm. and uh, they're going to have an opportunity, Les told them, to tell their side of the story uh, as soon as LeDuc and Armstrong get to speak about it. Mm -hmm. So Les quickly explained what had happened the night before and how two referees ended up in the ring, how one man on each team was counted out at the same time and how the belts sitting on the desk belonged to no one for the first time in Southeastern history. And then he called for the video of this match so that fans at home and even in the studio could see exactly what had happened the night before. And it began at the end of the match. It showed Bob Armstrong being covered by Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and simultaneously Bob Orton Jr., was covering, uh, was being covered by Joe LaDuke. Mm -hmm. So uh, Ronnie Garvin's on top of Bob Armstrong. Joe LaDuke's on top of Bob Orton Jr. There were two referees because something had happened and the second referee came to the ring. And now at this point, both teams are down. One man from each team on his back. The other was covered. And uh, both referees got their heads down. And they're not watching what the other one is doing. And they're counting at the exact same time. It's remarkable. One, two, three. <laughs> and uh, they both stand up. And one reaches down and <laughs> one raises one team's hand. And the other reaches down and raises the other team's hand. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it pretty unusual. Uh, very unusual. Hardly ever, maybe never, that it happened before. So Bob and Joe. You know, they they watched it and they said they understood what had happened and 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 they were they weren't upset. In fact, they said they were happy to be getting another chance to pin one of the former champions again uh, the following Friday. And this time, they were going to walk away with those belts that were sitting in front of them. Hmm. So Les threw it to the other studio, uh, where the opinion was quite different over there. You know, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. They were pacing around pretty nervously behind their Australian manager, Al Costello. And Al Costello was anything but happy with this situation. <laughs> he started out by accusing the Southeastern officials of being biased, that in the video just played, he said, it was very obvious to him and my boys that Mr. Knoxville's three count on Bob Armstrong was a good 10 seconds before the count <laughs> on, the, on Bob Orton Jr. That just <laughs> because his team was undefeated since winning the belts three months ago, Southeastern officials, as always, wanted to side with all the hillbillies out there. And uh, and they, they chose <laughs> when it came down to, to something like this right. to, to hold the belts up. <laughs> he, said, he said, my champions were robbed simply because they were unbeatable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's realize, you know, there's no way this is going to make everybody happy. And uh, so he said, uh, you know, that was exactly why the only way to settle this was to hold the belts up. What else were you going to do? You know, and the Southeastern officials did the right thing. And uh, so he says, we have no champions for one week. And we decide who is going to be the real champions by letting both teams go at it again Friday night. And whoever wins this one, you're going to win the belts. So Joe and Bob, they agreed, but the other studio was dead set against it, man. <laughs> uh, they started demanding that they send the belts over to him right then. <laughs> you know, get them off that desk and send them in this studio right now, you know. So Les closed out the profile. Man, it was turmoil in the studio, and in their studio <laughs> where Al Costello was, but there were big smiles on the face of Bob and Joe LaDuke. So... Studio crowd was pleased already by the interview and by the profile, 
But then when Bob Armstrong and Joel LaDuke left the set and headed to the ring, they really got enthused, man. They're going to get to see him again. Mm. And they made short work, man, of two opponents. Joe got his bear hug on one, and Bob was jacking the other's jaw, man. Made, <laughs> it made me, it made my jaw hurt just watching it, man. And, uh, and that, you know, uh, and this team was really over, man. After one match, Bob Armstrong and Joe LaDuke made a tremendous team, strong, uh, smart, uh, veterans. They had it all going for them, man. They were, after one single match, really over as a team. And both both teams had one last chance to have their say in the next interview. After that, it was going to all be settled the following Friday night. So it's time for the last uh, last match of the day. Australian Bill Dundee was in the ring, and he was being announced. And uh, and they had they had told me that I could uh, defend my TV trophy again. So I entered the studio, man, carrying my TV trophy, and the crowd was uh, really having a, an unusual TV experience. Dave, uh, all four matches on this TV show uh-huh. were baby faces. Ah. Uh. That had never happened. I don't think that ever happened before or after uh, on on the Southeastern television. In, comp- in competition with each other? No, they were what? in competition with other people, but okay. there oh. was no there were no bad guys, no heels okay. Okay. that were on this TV. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, no, okay. no heels in, as part of the crew. Anyway. Okay, yeah, that can. So, yeah, I was confused yeah. by that. Okay, yes. gotcha. So yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, pretty crazy, man. That yeah. uh, this TV. And that's because I came in and wanted to be put into the last match. And I think uh, there was somebody scheduled in there, one of the heels, and uh, they got bumped out. So anyway, it was a strange thing, but the fans loved it. They liked watching their 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 buddies and their friends. So uh, I set my trophy down on the ring apron, just like I had done the week before when the stomper was in there. And when I crawled through the ropes, I got jumped again, man. What a dummy I was, you know. Mm. Dundee, man, was on me like a ball of fire, man. He was everywhere at once and extremely painful, just like a burn, man. <laughs> now, you, and I, But I finally got myself together, man, and then I did some little head shaking and some of the little bit of stud dancing, and uh, and I made the little Aussie pay, man, before it was all over. Gosh, I like to bump him because he only weighed about 200 pounds. You know, I like to. I like I like to be able to to double back break him. I would do some crazy stuff with uh, <laughs> with him. And the studio audience, man, they loved it too. So, gorgeous George Jr. Man, he took most of the last interview from the set with Les, and uh, his stomper was wearing the belt that I so much wanted and I needed to to get around me if I was going to get the shot at Harley Race. And Gigi started right off calling me an idiot. You right off the bat, you know, and as uh, he's saying, uh, he, he, he asked last night, what type of fool was, was Ron Fuller, man? He said, uh, you know, uh, what, what type of a fool thinks he can beat both me and my stomper by himself? And, uh, and why would he be stupid enough to pay us 5,000 for the pleasure of beating him up? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, we'll take his 5,000 and beat him up too. Hey, that's great. And then he says, and then he throws the TV trophy in on it. You know I mean? <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to be, he, he's going to be the laughing stock everywhere when this is all over. So then I, you know, and then, then that, and he said that I just insured his stomper, the match man with Harley race in October, because he said, when my stomper wins the TV trophy, and he still got the southeastern belt. How can anybody deny him the NWA title shot? So fans began to boo. They didn't like that idea. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they did, the stomper reached up instantly for his ears. And it's like, oh no, no, don't do that. So uh, man, so I took it from there. You know, and I started out saying something about you know it was just a just one huge reason that I thought that I, I had risks. All everything that I risked was worth it, and uh, and I said that reason is because it seems like to me now in the southeast the power is in the people's hands, the southeastern fans. Now they all know what the Stompers' one weakness is. I said, you know, 
He said, he, I said, his ears, of all things, <laughs> his ears is his weakness, you know. And I said, come Friday night, they're going to show up. I'm talking to less, you know. I says, uh, they're going to show up fans by the thousands. And, and I'm going to use the power of the people, their voices, and their noisemakers to run the stomper from the ring. And then I only had to do was beat Gorgeous George Jr. by himself to get the Southeastern belt, the shot at Harley race in October and my family's legacy. The NWA world heavyweight championship was going to be mine finally. And the power of the Southeastern people was going to carry me to the world title. Man. Oh man. As I can, I can just hear it. Jim Barnett would say, I can see nothing but money, money, money run. And this Friday night in the park, was gonna be it was gonna be big, was it not, Stud? <laughs> oh yeah, man. Uh, you know, uh, pretty good, Jimsy. There, man. Thank not you. Too bad. You Thank know? you very so, much. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's it's going it's going to be a big crowd. You know, I expected it was going to be a big crowd, but let's get to the results before we get to the crowd. So, uh, Roy Lee Welch uh, did it again in the opening match. Uh, he was up against the Wiley veteran Al Costello, the manager of uh, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. Costello had beat Roy his first night in the territory in the middle of the ring. It was his only loss since arriving in Southeastern was that first loss to Al Costello. Now he's back with him again in the very first match. And this time uh, I watched it. it. It appeared he was going down again, but Costello just couldn't get him finished. You know, he just kept kicking out and kicking out. Al tried everything. Every bump you could give a guy, but Roy just wouldn't die. He just kept kicking out. Mm. And when the bell rang, it was a 15-minute time limit match. The fans were on their feet. They were screaming, go, Roy, go, man. The <laughs> building was up. Wow, they could see that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to lose. He wasn't going to be beat. And, uh, you know, that Roy, Le Roy Lee Welch phenomena was still intact. That's and, I mean. He just—he was still cranking out these tremendous first matches. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Ricky Gibson, he got a big win over Don Fargo. He used a sleeper hold, naturally. Uh, Tony Charles did everything possible to beat the pro and have him unmasked. But the pro, just like Roy Lee, just kept hanging on. Through all the magnificent throws that Charles gave him, man, he kicked out or he rolled out. He, he just... He, he managed to make it to the 30-minute time limit, and the bell rang. Everybody in the building was on their feet because they thought Tony was going to get him, and they were going to see who this guy really was. Uh, the Southeastern tag title match for the belts was absolutely phenomenal, man. Both teams gave it their all, man. In the end, it was Mr. Knoxville and Orton Jr.'s manager, Al Costello, that made the difference. And he was about to put Bob Armstrong away. Bob Orton Jr. had him in a full Nelson, and he jumped up on the apron. The referee's back turned. He reached in his pants pocket, and he pulled out something. And when he took the shot at uh, Bob Armstrong, he hit the wrong Bob. <laughs> he hit Ooh. Orton. Man. And Bob Orton was knocked unconscious. Wow. <laughs> he went straight back. Bob Armstrong fell on top of him. Referee counted him out, and uh, they had to carry Bob Orton Jr. to the dressing room. He was still unconscious five minutes after it wow. all gone down. Holy but uh, they didn't carry him to the dressing room before they gave those belts to Joe Duke and Bob Armstrong. And wow, was that crowd going crazy, man. Now, they were finally awarded the belts, and uh, it was the first bona fide loss for Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton as a tag team in Southeastern history. Pretty crazy. Three mm. months undefeated is really a great record for any tag team. Oh, no doubt. So what, what happened in your match against both the Stomper and gorgeous George Jr.? Let's hear it. Well, I don't know if anybody out there noticed when I read this card that my brother isn't on this card. Mm. First time in, wow, uh, maybe uh, maybe almost a year 
since Rob came that he's not on on the same card that I'm on. And he was filling a commitment he had to Jerry Jarrett, who was the Memphis promoter on the far side of the state, who was running wrestling in Lexington, Kentucky on Friday nights. Uh, Jerry Jarrett had asked Rob if he could come up to Lexington, Kentucky and wrestle on that card for him. Hmm. So, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of where the deal was, man. So, so Robert was not there. So what, what happened in Knoxville? Okay, Dave, uh, here we go. Uh, mm-hmm. so the power of the people was definitely there. I'll tell you that, man. Uh, you know, as, as if screaming wasn't enough, man, for these thousands of people that were there, some of them brought the air horns, man. <laughs> I think air horns had just been invented, man. Uh, some of them bought pots and pans, Dave. Are you kidding? <laughs> yes, and spoons and sticks. I don't, I don't think and, you could get into an arena today with pots and pans. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, no, you couldn't do that Not anymore, today, man. No. You know, but they had it. This was 1977. That crowd came prepared. Wow. <laughs> you know, air horns, pots and pans, a metal rod to beat on them with. What? No. Uh, anything that made tremendous noise. No cowbell? In that amphitheater. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome know, so my plan was pretty good i mean uh, the people showed up uh, you know but boy my opponent's game plan was pretty solid too man hmm. uh, so when the crowd got loud uh and stomper was in the ring he would tag out to Gigi. uh Gigi would come in the ring and obviously i would take over on Gigi pretty strong and and when he was about to lose and he had to he would struggle back over, and somehow he would tag the stomper in, uh-huh. in desperation. <laughs> the stomper would come in, and uh, I'd be getting tired, you know. Uh, and the noise, man, once the stomper came in and he started on me, they cranked up the noise, man. It was unbelievable. You could hear him in downtown Knoxville, miles away, no <laughs> doubt. And uh, stomper would take over because I was tired. Since mm-hmm. it was me against two guys, and this mess, match went past 20 minutes, I had nobody to tag out to, you know. So Stomper would take over, but then the crowd would relieve me, man. <laughs> they would start <laughs> their deal. Stomper <laughs> would have to tag out, and here would come <laughs> Gigi again. So the fans kept me in it uh, by driving the Stomper absolutely crazy, man. And after just a few minutes in the ring, you know, Every time he got in there, he was forced to tag out, stand in the corner with his hands over his ears. Right, <laughs> right. You know, he, he, he was really struggling here. I think he had ear problems. He must have had an infection or something. I don't know what the heck was making his ears so bad. But uh, Gigi then would get in a few shots, and I'd start to come back on him again. And then finally, Stomper was in there, and the referee collided Stomper hit the referee, collided with the referee. I think he had a headlock on me. I fired him off, and the referee was right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stomper went down, and I covered him. But uh, there was no ref there to count me out. Uh, You know, he had already taken a bump. He was on the far side of the ring. And Gigi climbed up on the top rope, and he jumped off of my back. He rolled the Stomper over on top of me, and the ref counted me out. Wow. I I was totally exhausted. Man, I laid there. I don't know how long I laid there. I mean, the, the stomper fled immediately to the dressing room. Uh, Gigi stayed long enough to collect my $5,000 check, took the TV trophy, and uh, and then he chased after the stomper. Holy cow, what a finish. How big, I mean, God dang, how big, But so how big was the crowd? Oh, man, you know, again, there was no exact figures out there in Chilhowee Park, uh, you know, but when you looked at it, and I had a lot of guys, I asked quite a few guys what they thought, and they, everybody said, Ron, it's right there with that 7,000-plus Jola Duke and Stomper Cage match. Yeah. You know, it was was packed. It was a sea of humanity again. Mm. You couldn't see any grass when you came out. Uh, It was... It was a lot of people there. That's cool. Another huge crowd. So I think it's time for our learning tree, Ron. So let's get that set up with the question. Remind us, who, who was it that asked? Well, there's a gentleman named uh, Chuck McKinney, and he asked, uh, other than Knoxville, your major city, 
what was your favorite and most profitable spot show in southeastern Knoxville? Uh, that's a great question, you know, and I guess for me, there are probably two answers to this question. I, I, I can't, I can't just, uh, I can't just pick one here. One of my favorite spot show cities was Hazard, Kentucky, and it had a TV station there that ran a Southeastern TV show. Uh, and the biggest spot show crowd ever for Southeastern was in that town, in Hazard, Kentucky. Andre the Giant was on the card, and he rode with me to Hazard that night. Uh, it was a big building. Uh, luckily, you know, it was the biggest building in the, all of Southeastern, other than the Coliseum and the Amphitheater in Knoxville. And, uh, and it was totally packed that night. Uh, and maybe... It may may have been the biggest crowd ever in that building. I had a couple of people say they'd never seen that many people in that building. It had over 5,000 fans, uh, and it had a gross house of almost $15,000 back in 1977, hmm. Hmm. okay? So um, it, was, it was big. It was a really big house. Uh, uh, my other favorite happened to be another Kentucky city, uh, Harlan, Kentucky. Hmm. Uh, and it had one of the biggest high school gyms in the state of Kentucky. It held over 3,000 fans, but there was probably a lot of times when we went to Harlan that there might have been 4,000 in that building, you know, and that <laughs> they had no fire marshals there. And, uh, you know, they sold tickets until uh, until they they couldn't pack any more in. And, uh, and sometimes there might have been a thousand standing outside that couldn't even get in. So. It became such a big city for wrestling, man, Harlan, that we started to run it every other Saturday night. Uh, in 1975, we ran it just uh, three or four times for the year. Mm -hmm. In 1976, we jumped that up to twice that once a month. And by 1977, we were there every other Saturday night. And it wasn't uncommon for the gross house there to be over $10,000. And that was in the city where the gymnasium would have 4,000 people in it and the city's population was 3,000. <laughs> Tell me that one, man. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, that, yeah. that, that's pretty amazing right there, you know. Yeah. So, 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 And there was one more reason I liked Harlan. You know, their fans were crazy. You mean, they were so crazy they that one night they got so mad at Bron Wright that a bunch of them, found out he flew in in his airplane and they went up to the little airport while he's still at the gym and uh they right. found his airplane and uh and that airport sat on the top of a mountain mm -hmm. and the fans pushed ron wright's airplane about 200 yards and off the mountain uh -uh. and it <laughs> crashed and burned that night at God. the bottom of that mountain <laughs> now now that's some really crazy wrestling fans you you can say that again Wow. That's okay. Maybe that's the story for another time. I got questions on that. Another great one today, Ron. There's nothing like a stud cast compared to wrestling podcasts around the world. Please tell your friends and neighbors about us and what the stud does every week right here. You just witnessed it. So what is happening this week on Southeastern Rewind? Tell us again, stud. Well, a uh, new US TV. USA TV show, number four. It went up this past Sunday. And uh, the great rewind review of that show, which is the Les Thatcher and I do that rewind every week. It follows that show every Thursday. And uh, Les Thatcher and I uh, do a complete review of every new TV that comes out on Sundays four days later. Uh, this week may not, might not happen this week on Thursday because we're going to see that Southeastern sweet spot. Uh, that we have talked about. So these review shows, it'll be on Friday if it's not on Thursday. These review shows are filled with historic facts, man, about every one of these use, these USA TV shows. And uh, and we cover everything, man, like like the the guys that even lose the matches and, uh, you know, the, the, the guys that the, I call the enhancement talent. Uh, we, we don't miss much of anything on it, and we really go into great depth. Uh, and, and then we've got that very popular Tell Me More show that you and I do, Dave, uh, where I answer five questions that's never been asked before. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that come from one of the original studcasts that's put up every week. So this week's original studcast number 19 went up last Saturday, and uh, and the questions got answered uh, yesterday. It's uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. So original studcast number 20 is going to go up this Saturday, and it's Tell Me More Question and Answer show will go up three days later on the following Tuesday. Hey, do not miss it. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. And as long as you subscribe, you'll never miss a thing because you'll always know what's going on. And listen, folks, on Facebook, Ron now has more than 12,000 Facebook fans. So the Ron Fuller Welch page is full at this time. To become friends with the Tennessee Stud on Facebook, go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page, or author Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. Simply follow him there. Automatically become friends with a living legend. Twitter and Instagram. Follow him on both at Ron Fuller Welch. Ron's next Super Stud cast will be released on Tuesday, September 14th of 2021. Find out who his special guest will be on the next Studcast and the Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition DVD 5 pack is still available. It has 67 matches, more than 12 hours of tremendous action. It will close out soon. This could be your last chance to own a piece of true wrestling history. At tnstud.com, click Stud Store, get it for only $39.99. That includes shipping and the Tennessee stud mask are going fast. They're exactly like the actual mask that the stud wore years ago. The same cloth, the same genuine leather face outline, the TS initials and the horse heads on the sides as well. All hand sewn on these masks. Exactly what the stud wore many years ago. Get your piece of unique wrestling history now for only $40 with free shipping at tnstud.com. Click stud store. Ron's thrilling novel, Brutus, has become the story the entire world talks about. Reviews tell the tale. 50 of them are five stars. At amazon.com, it's Brutus Novel. That's where the reviews are. Get the book there or get the uniquely collectible autograph copy from the stud himself. At tnstud.com, click stud store. Only $29.99 with free shipping. Head over to tnstud.com. All the stuff we've been talking about here on the show today, you'll find it right there. So tnstud.com, head over there and net a spell. Did you get it? Did you get it? All right. So, <laughs> so Stud, where, where are we writing to next week? Well, we're going to be entering September of 1977. We're going to have, obviously, a new today's training. And uh, we're going to uh, we're going to be uh, kind of uh, in and out of the first three weeks in the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. Uh, we're going to talk about the great card of this first week there and the TV that promoted it and the results of the matches and the attendance like we always do. And we're going to finish, obviously, with another learning tree question. And uh, and there's probably going to be some other surprises in it. So I want to thank everybody. And as always, for, for your support out there, I, I have the best fans in wrestling. I'm firmly convinced of that. Uh, please take care of yourselves, everybody, and others, and may God bless us all. Always remember to keep the woman, the water, the lights, and the phone turned on. God bless you too, Stud. This is David Summers thanking you for listening and thanking you again for Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains. We'll see you next week for another Studcast. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.